chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. He told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to be one, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, and when he was still a long way off, his father saw him felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. That we have here for us today. A quick ministry moment. We just want to pause as we, we take time at our offering time here. And I want to tell you about a ministry that took place this past week. Our women on mission, our, our women, our WMU, prepared food and delivered it to the BCM. Now, a lot of times we, we give and we don't really know where the money goes when we give. I just want you to know this is one of those organizations that we give. And, and part of it goes to our cooperative program that helps fund the BCM. 
But this was us hand delivering food. And we, they presented 125 plus meals to students that would come in. But what's unique about it was it wasn't just students. Our first person that came by to eat was a professor. But we had faculty members. We had maintenance people show up. I had a great conversation with a guy from Marrero. And I said, where do you go to church when you're at home? He goes, I don't go to church. He goes, I'm here because of the genuineness of these people at the BCM. And I said, that is awesome. That's great. He's been there for about a year and a half. And I talked to the, the BCM director. And he's like, he's not saved yet. But he keeps coming. He keeps coming. And it was just a great experience. And I want you to know that whenever you give and your offerings generously, it allows these ministries and missions to take place. Okay? So I want us to pause and I want us to pray for the prodigals. I want us to pray for those that are lost, but also for the ministry that we have as we reach out to others. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for today. I thank you for this, this one guy that just came in and touched my life, Father, because he saw genuineness in believers around him. I pray and ask, Father, that in everything that we do, it's for your glory, for your honor, to build your kingdom. Whether it's providing a lunch to a bunch of students on campus, faculty on campus, people that just walk off the street, Father, whether it's care packages that we have, I pray and ask that we have a heart of seeing the lost around us. Let us get outside of our bubble. Let us get outside of ourselves and see where your spirit's moving. See where you're moving each and every day and be a part of that. We thank you for the offerings that we get, Father, that, that we, you have just multiplied and you have used to help further your kingdom. I pray and ask that we just, you continue to bless us, not just through the finances that we have, but through the resources we have of our people, the resources that we have through the ministries that we do, Father. Allow us to continue to see your face at all times. In your name we pray and ask it. Amen. Michael, before you leave, tell them about the truck. I was going to do that at the end, but I can do it now. So when we talk about, remember, and I was thinking about, I was going to do this at the end. A couple weeks ago we talked about where do you see God moving? And you had a phone reminder, right? Yeah. So my reminder goes off at 2 o'clock. And we're about to leave at almost 4 o'clock. Everybody's about to leave the office. We get a phone call. And a guy says, hey, I got a pallet full of deli meat. I got a pallet full of deli, deli meat. Can you take it? Well, we have some follow-up questions to that, right? How much is a pallet? He goes, oh, it's just about 50 boxes. And we're like, well, how many is in a box? And he says, oh, about 12. And they're just small slices, no big deal. And we're like, okay, how much does it cost? He goes, nothing. I got to get rid of it. Well, the store we were bringing it to said they, they had too much inventory and they couldn't take it. I can't bring it back. I'm going to unplug a trailer and it's going to sit there and go bad. All right. So, so as we're sitting there, I said, well, when's the expiration date? End of February. Guess when our care package dates delivery are? February 22nd. Okay, so if you look in all of our fridges and freezers here, we collected about 70 boxes of sliced ham. And when you start adding that up times 12, you're right at 900 packages of ham that were delivered to our doorstep on Tuesday, Wednesday. It was a blur because we got there and we just started shoving boxes, right? But when we expect God to move and we look for God to move, it's amazing when he shows up and it surprises us, right? But we have 900 packages of ham to deliver with these care packages. We didn't even ask for it. It's not on our list, is it? And we're going to pass it out when people come here, okay? So keep bringing, keep waiting for God to move and keep looking for him, okay? Anything else you want me to add? No, no, that was good. All right. <laughs>
And that story was so awesome that blessed us in the office. And I needed to make sure that you all heard that and that you all knew that story. So I got impatient. Sorry about that. Um, Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. We are excited to be in worship uh, together. We are in Luke chapter 15. Uh, but before in Luke chapter 15, I, I watched a, um, a dog video this week. Um, did anybody else watch a dog video at all? Cute dog, puppy dogs, all kinds of dog uh, videos. I, I watched a dog video this week. This is an amazing story. This happened uh, about a year ago. That is Duchess the, the dog. Um, Duchess the dog. Duchess the dog lived in Orlando and in 2007 snuck out the door, never to be seen again. Can you imagine this lady's surprise? When in last year, 12 years later, there is a phone call that says, we have found your dog in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 1,000 miles away. Can you imagine that reunion? Can you imagine that excitement of folks being reunited when they thought that dog was long gone? 12 years, 1,000 miles, and to be suddenly reunited in that way again? Here's the thing that I think is really awesome about it. It's the, the chip. They, they, they found the dog and reunited the dog because the dog had the chip, the microchip in it. But here's what had to happen. The lady had to keep paying $15 a year to keep that chip active. Now, I don't have a dog, and my dog doesn't have a chip because I don't have a dog. But I can understand paying my $15 for the chip when I've got the dog. It's my dog. That's my puppy. That's my dog. Of course, I'll, I'll put $15 on this dog. But when the dog is gone, and the dog's been gone a year, and the dog's been gone two years, three years, four years, five, I'm going to get all the way to 12. The dog's been gone 12 years. Do you keep paying the $15 a year on the dog that is long gone? She paid every year. And because of that, Duchess is back home on a leash, I'm sure. Here's the good news this morning. Here is the awesome, incredible news this morning. Our God, at this very moment, 8.50 a.m. Central Time, is currently searching for the lost right now. This very moment, our God is searching for the lost in this moment. In fact, this truth is so important. Jesus takes this moment in Luke chapter 15 to tell not one story, not two stories, but three stories about the image of God searching for the things that are lost. He tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son because our God is a God who searches for the lost. Now, as we unpack this passage of Scripture, as we take a look at this passage of Scripture, what are we supposed to notice here? There's so much here in the passage this morning. But one of the things that I want you to notice, and this will be one of the most obvious things I ever say before you, is that lostness brings pain. 
Lostness brings pain. Don't, don't we know that? Isn't that part of the reason, even as I read the passage of Scripture this morning, I could feel the whole congregation leaning in because we know that story. We have experienced that story. All of those feelings, all of those emotions that Jesus is just touching. Jesus is just gently putting his hand upon those places in our heart. We immediately burst inside of us because we know that sense of loss. We know that sense of distance. We know that sense of grief that we've experienced. And what Jesus wants to emphasize to our hearing and to our understanding this morning is that lostness drives God to action. You see, now, as we think about this, we have to have a conversation and just kind of wonder about this. What does lostness look like? Well, lostness has several different shapes and forms here. Lostness can be the outsider. In fact, that's the immediate context of this passage of Scripture. It is that Jesus is hanging out with those that are considered to be tax collectors and sinners. People who have been declared unworthy. People who have been declared not acceptable kind of people. And there are some people who are, the Greek word here, in a huff uh, about the fact that Jesus is hanging out with these people. And Jesus says, listen, you think that those are unacceptable people? Let me tell you where the heart of God is. Those people that you may consider to be lost are there at the heart of what God cares about. They are folks who are outsiders. They are folks who are rejected. As we unpack the passage a little bit more, we see that they are folks who are broken. And we see the picture of the son who, when everything has fallen apart, is there in the pig pen Envious of the food, the scraps, the garbage that the pigs are eating. Who are the lost? It's the broken. But I also want to make sure that we don't make the mistake that the only place broken people live are in pig pens. Because it can be just as empty and just as lonely on the top as it is in the pig pen. We don't have to watch TMZ for more than 10 minutes to know that the rich and the fabulous and the wealthy and the famous and all of those folks, that their lives can be just as empty and as broken as anyone else. But ultimately, when Jesus is talking here about those that are lost, he is ultimately talking about those who are separated from him. That's what it means to be lost. The people who are, for whatever reason, not in full relationship with God. And watch this. As Jesus tells these stories, Jesus emphasizes that the Heavenly Father will chase the one despite the 99. He will search for the one despite the nine. He, he will stand on the parapet and search the horizon for the one despite the one. Years ago, I talked to someone who, uh, who raised chickens, not backyard chickens, but the kind of chickens that get to take the field trip to Sanderson Farms, if you know what I mean. Uh, he, he had these big 
places where they, they would bring the eggs and uh, the, the chickens were hatching on their way to his farm and, and they would drop off hundreds and thousands of chickens and they had a particular diet so that they could as soon as possible take the field trip to a place like Sanderson uh, Farms. And as he began to tell, he, he talked about the strain that was on uh, these chickens and it may not be every chicken that you've ever eaten, but there's, and I don't want you to like not eat chicken for lunch today, but, but the strain that was on these chickens because of the high intensity of their diet and things, that it was often that these, not every chicken made it. And part of his task was that he had to go through every single day and kind of clear out the chickens that, shall we say, didn't, didn't make it. Now, now here's what I didn't ask him. Uh, so, do you ever perform CCPR? That would be chicken culinary pulmonary resuscitation? Uh, do you ever give mouth-to-beak resuscitation to these chickens? Do you ever come in in the morning and see a chicken that is barely making it and, and, and pull out the little things and go clear and, and, and all this and try to bring back the chicken? No, because there are thousands of chickens. It is part of the accepted losses that we are going to have enough chickens that make it so that we don't worry about the chickens that don't make it. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus says the shepherd had a hundred sheep. Ninety-nine of them were fine. And he says, I'm going to drop everything until I find that last one. There were ten coins. One of them were missing. Now, over the years, I've heard stories about these coins, and I've, I've had all kinds of folks tell me about the sentimentality of these coins, and they were special coins, and they were wedding coins, and they were all of this stuff. My study this week says they were a coin. It was just a coin, uh, similar to the denarii that we talk about so much, one day's wages. It's just, it's just a coin. She drops everything to look for this coin. And the sun, the sun, you've heard it said that this idea of the sun coming to the father and saying, uh, uh, give me my inheritance now. Man, I don't know if your kids ever said that to you. I mean, that's, that's kind of an uncool conversation. I don't have time to wait for you to die. And in fact, the equivalent would be that there were some folks that would interpret it as the son saying, I wish you were dead now. Cash me out. Well, maybe it's because he's going to invest in something really, really important. Maybe he's got a business plan. Maybe it's a college education. Maybe it's all this stuff. No. He's going to party hardy. And the father knows this isn't going to work. This is a bad idea. This thing is fraught with failure. You're making a huge mistake. This will not end right. And I'm sure that was a conversation that happened. And there would have been hurt. There would have been some I told you so. There would have been even when the sun comes back, are you sure? that you've changed? Are you sure that you've learned your lesson? Are you just back for more cash? I can't trust you again in this way. 
but he immediately drops all of the pretense. He runs to greet him. He embraces him and puts him in the place of honor in his house because our God at this very moment is searching for the lost. And that's his heart. That's his passion. That, that's who he is. Now we've been talking for some time that a growing disciple joyfully embraces the patterns, priority, and purpose of Jesus. If this is the character, if this is the heart of God, if this is the story that Jesus tells us, that our God is this kind of God who is currently at this moment searching after the lost. Well, if we're going to be a growing disciple, then we have to join Jesus. We have to embrace him in his, in his patterns, his priorities, and his purpose. We have to become searchers. We have to become people who go out and look. Let's think about what the applica application is, the implication is for our church. It means that outside of these walls, we are a search party for those who are lost. Some of them may be sitting in a pig pen right now. Some of them are sitting in a penthouse. But they're broken. They're hungry. They're looking for something of meaning. Some folks are so busy they haven't even begun to consider their need. Some folks are burnt out. Some people have dropped out. Some people have given up hope. Uh, some people are just filling their days with all kinds of things, but it becomes our task, our purpose, to become just like Jesus and become searchers for those who are lost. They live in your neighborhood. They work in your workplace. They go to your school. They shop in your stores. And we have to become like Jesus, and we have to become searchers for those who are lost. That's what we do outside of this building. But I would also challenge us that there comes with some implications for what happens inside of this building. Because what happens is that there are sometimes those folks who are lost and they've seen a t-shirt someplace, they've seen a sign, they, they, they've just, they've taken a gamble that said maybe hope is here. But maybe this is a place where I can be at home, a place where, where I can be safe. And so through high risk, they rearrange their lives and decide on a Sunday, I'm going to show up at church. I'm going to tell you, we are just as responsible for caring for their lives once they come into this place as we are out there. Because i got to tell you that the heartbreak that comes when a person says, I'm going to reach out and try, I'm going to show up at church, and when it feels just as lonely inside as it did outside, Man, when you come and say, hope is here. And it's just as lonely on the inside as it was on the outside. It's tough. I'm not trying to, I would say this to any church. Michael sent out a video to Sunday school teachers this morning about how to make, or this week, how to make your Sunday school class a warm and receptive person for every person who comes in. 
We have to be committed that we have the same searching, caring, receiving, embracing heart as a church. Now, I know that sometimes it's difficult to go and talk to somebody and say, are you new here? Well, no, I remember when you started coming here. It's a little awkward. So here's a couple of things that I would just suggest. First of all, don't open with, are you new here? Okay, that, that, that question is the question that's in your head, but not every question that's in your head is the one that has to come out your mouth. You can write that down. That's actually a good lesson for life. Because are you new here? Man, that's a hard question because it immediately says, I don't think you quite fit here or belong here. And then you run the risk of saying, well, no, I've been here for six years. So just it's going to make life easier if you just take that question off the table. But sometimes just confess and say, man, I am terrible with names. Can you remind me of your name again? Sometimes you can just use an open-ended question that does not require, like, remembering everything. Just a question like, how was your week this week? They don't have to know how much you remember about them or not. How was your week this week? Man, how's life going these days? Uh, Michael said in his video this week, uh, catch me up on your week. Man, so, so simple. You can do this. Now, I would also say to you, if someone walks up to you, I hope it won't be today. I hope they would at least wait two weeks. But if someone does walk up to you and say, are you new here? Give them some grace. They're trying, okay? You know, there may be a whole bunch of other people that have ignored that you're here. At least this person tried to walk across the room and make a connection with. Give them some grace. And next Sunday when you see them, walk back up and say, hey, I enjoyed talking to you last week. Help them out. The, the, the fact that they would say, are you new here this week, means that they're, they're needing some help relationally as well. So do that. If you ask for somebody's name, write it down. Write it down. Pray for that person all week and see if it doesn't stick inside of your life and so that you see them next week that we can't make sure that when people feel here that it is as though the Father has run out to receive them and that we have fed them the fatted calf. And we said, you belong in this place. We have to have the same priorities and patterns and purpose that Jesus has. I would also tell you as we look at the passage that lostness does not have to be a permanent setting. You ever spill anything on your favorite shirt? The first thing you want to know is, is this going to come out? You ever roughhousing in the house, knock over something that's been in your family for, for 17 generations and it falls on the ground and it, you hear something snap? Can it go back together? Can it be fixed? You're on your computer and it says, do you want to delete this? And then it says, are you sure? Because this is permanent and forever. And then you're like, you know what? I'm leaving the room. I can't make the decision about forever. That, that seems to be so permanent. And so one of the questions that we ask all of the time is, is it permanent? Is this hurt? Is this difficulty? Is this hardship? Is this break? Is this lostness? Is it permanent? And we ask this question for ourselves. 
Is this break in my life? Is this distance in my life? Is this mistake in my life? Is it permanent? Is it catastrophic? Is it terminal? Has this wandering in my life completely changed my life forever? Or is there a way back home? We ask this for ourselves. We ask this for our loved ones. I doubt that there's a single family that's represented in our service this morning that doesn't have a loved one that doesn't need to come home. And we ask the question, is this permanent? There are times that I come to you and I say, I don't know. But I would tell you that the word of God says no. It does not have to be permanent. The shepherd goes and searches for the lost sheep until he finds it. The woman lights the light. She, can, she cancels everything else until she finds it. And even the son while we don't necessarily see the son leave, the, the father leave the house, what we see is that God has stirred inside of the heart of the son. And he has pursued him all the way to his heart. And the sheep, the coin, the son become trophies of the grace of God. Here's the reality. There is not a single believer in Christ. There is not a single Christian who is not a person who has been rescued from lostness. Now, sometimes you may feel like I wasn't really that lost. You were lost. And if he rescued and found and restored you, he can rescue and restore anyone. Lostness is not a permanent setting for our lives. We are all trophies of grace, and that grace abounds, and it continues to go to the far reaches of the universe. I also love in this passage that we discover that foundness Foundness. Now they want to tell me that that's not a real word, but I'm telling you it's a real word. Foundness is worth celebrating. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it all the way home. There was nothing wrong with the sheep. The sheep could have, come on, let's go. He carries them because of his affection, gets back home, calls all the neighbors, I found them. What are you talking about? I found the lost sheep. The woman finds the coin. Just the coin. It's just a coin. But you know what it's like. You know what it's missing. It's going to drive you crazy till you find it. It's a set of ten. There are now nine. You've got to find it. The woman calls her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. Now, there's the high possibility that when she says rejoice with me, she says we're going to have a party. 
Parties cost money. Good chance the party costs more than the coin. I like to think <laughs> that she blew all ten coins <laughs> on the party for the one lost coin that she couldn't find. But even if there was no party, this woman would not stop talking about the fact that she found her coin. And her friends or neighbors were like, yeah, we get it. You lost the coin. You found the coin. It consumed her. Let's stop everything and celebrate the coin. I found it. And the son, when he comes home and he wants to be the new man, the newest man hired on as a servant, the lowest person in the whole house, the father puts him in the seat of honor and they celebrated. What's the now what this morning? The now what? Is I want you to take a moment and let your heart consider the fact that the Savior has rescued you, has searched for you and found you. You were the sheep. You were the coin. You were the son. And our heavenly father through his son searched for you until he found you. You are a rescued person. Let your heart receive that and hear that. May our hearts be softened once again about the miracle of restoration that he's done in our lives. There's the possibility that you're still lost this morning. Whether it's broken, whether it's at the bottom, whether it's at the top, whether it's just wandering around in the middle. There's a possibility that you're, that you're separated from God. And you feel that more than other times. But you know that you're not where you're supposed to be with God. And it may be that what you're supposed to do in this moment is that you are supposed to receive his forgiveness and live under his authority again as the son who returned home. If that's what you're supposed to do, then right now, this morning, that's a simple conversation that you have with God. It doesn't have to involve anything else other than your heart crying out to the Father and saying, I need to be forgiven and I want to live under the authority of your house once again. Would you do that? If and even in these moments, even as we prepare for the table, if that's what you do, then you will be forgiven, received, and been made a son by the adoption through Jesus Christ. Forgive me. I want to live under the authority of your house. If that's a conversation that, that you have with God this morning, I'd love to know about it. I hang out in the back. If that's a conversation, you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I feel like I'm being drawn that direction. And you want to talk about that more, I'll be out there in the back. Michael's around. We'd love to talk about those things. 
I would also encourage you to join the search party. There are lost people who need help finding their way home. That's you. That's you. And I would say to all of us with friends and family that are not home in this hour, keep your eyes on the horizon. Keep your eyes on the horizon. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you as either folks who are currently lost or those who have been found. Lord, I pray that we would know that and that we would feel that. We would celebrate that and that we would receive it. As Jesus tells, as Jesus tells those stories, remember it started with the Pharisees being upset about who Jesus was hanging out with. And he tells the story about the shepherd and about the woman and really the humiliated father. And the reaction that was most likely out of those Pharisees is why I would never. We talk about it in the Christmas story that the shepherds were, and they, they, they were a rough crowd and people didn't want to be a shepherd. And the, the fancy, the fancy, fancy Pharisees, that's what they called themselves, the, the, the fancy, fancy Pharisees, I, 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 I'd never be a shepherd. And then when Jesus tells the story about the woman, while well, they, ah, I, I'd, I'd, I'd never be a woman. And when they tell the story about the humiliated father, well, there's no way that I'd raise my kids that way. That's not the way I would do it. But the point is that restoration happens because God does things we would never do. God does things that we would never do. He would be the shepherd, the dirty, grimy shepherd chasing after stinking, smelling sheep. He would be the woman that stopped everything to search for the lost coin. He would be the wronged father who would receive his son with open arms. And he would be the Savior who would be crucified on a cross, who would find that the answer to the brokenness and rebellion of this world is for him to give himself up for death on a cross. No one has ever done that. But he does the things that no one else ever would. And so this morning, as part of our regular worship routine, we come and we remember the table 
the table that he sat with the disciples the night before he was crucified. And as he sat there with the disciples, he said, listen, you've got to understand what happens next is going to blow your mind. You're not going to understand it. It's not going to make any sense. But understand, everything that you've ever seen from me boils down to this event where I give my body for you to be broken. And not just that, but I pour out my blood for you. Jesus told those very disciples in that very upper room, to do this, to remember me. In fact, we, we carve it on the outside of our table. Do this to remember me. Not the feeding of the 5,000. Not the making the lame to walk and the blind to see. But my body, broken for you. My blood poured out for you. You've received the elements as we came in this morning to minimize the amount of passing of trays and things, we, we have these little containers. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to open the top seal, which will open up the bread. And we're going to take the bread, and then we'll open the second seal, which gives us uh, the juice. Uh, I'm going to ask um, Daryl Schilling to come and pray for the bread. Lord, as we come this morning during this sacrament, Lord, we just ask you to remind us each time that we partake of this, it is your body. And we do this in remembrance of you. Amen. We peel back that first seal, and we take the bread. The Apostle Paul, as he was teaching the church, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I ask another one of our deacons, Charlie Roberts, to come and to give thanks for the cup. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just to praise your holy name and to thank you so much, dear Lord, for loving us so much that you allow your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Thank you for that love. And may we not take it lightly, dear Lord, what you have done, the sacrifice Jesus has made, the pain and suffering he did before and even on the cross you back on him on that cross because you could not look upon sin. Help us not take these things lightly, dear Lord, but help us to always give you honor and praise and glory. And thank you for loving us. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We uh, take that second seal. The apostle says in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you, as you drink it in remembrance of me.
And I love what Paul says. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because the one who died is now alive and is coming again. The disciples met in that upper room with Jesus, and after they had enjoyed the table, they had received the table, they had been taught by the table. It tells us that they sang a hymn before going out. So Brian, 